This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of osteochondral lesions of the talus from the foot and ankle section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Osteochondral lesions of the talus are focal injuries to the talar dome with variable involvement of the subchondral bone and cartilage, which may be caused by a traumatic event or repetitive microtrauma. Diagnosis can be made with plain ankle radiographs. MRI studies are helpful in determining the size of the lesion, the extent of bony edema, and identify unstable lesions. Treatment can be non-operative or operative depending on patient age, patient activity demands, lesion size, and stability of the lesion. Now let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, as far as the incidence of osteochondral lesions of the talus, you will see this in 69% of ankle fractures, 70% of ankle sprains, and 10% are bilateral. Know that medial talar dome lesions are more common. As far as anatomic location of osteochondral lesions of the talus, they can occur in the medial talar dome or the lateral talar dome. Lesions that are in the medial talar dome usually have no history of trauma. They tend to be more posterior and are larger and deeper than lateral lesions. In the setting of lateral talar dome lesions, these usually have a traumatic history. They are more superficial and smaller, they are more central or anterior, there is a lower incidence of spontaneous healing, and are more often displaced and symptomatic. Moving on to the etiology, with respect to pathophysiology, the mechanism of injury for osteochondral lesions of the talus include ankle inversion and dorsiflexion during axial load, which creates shearing of the lateral talar dome and creates a lateral osteochondral lesion of the talus. Another potential mechanism of injury is ankle inversion, external rotation, and plantar flexion during axial load, which creates shearing of the medial talar dome and subsequently results in a medial osteochondral lesion of the talus. The pathophysiology of these injuries can be secondary to possible repetitive microtrauma, which creates an ischemic environment and loss of integrity of the subchondral bone, and this leads to softening and disruption of the overlying cartilage. Associated conditions with osteochondral lesions of the talus include lateral ankle ligamentous insufficiency and cavus hindfoot alignment. Now let's go over some relevant anatomy. As far as osteology, the talus has a geometrically complex structure. It resembles a frustrum, the anterior portion is broader than the posterior portion, and there are no muscular attachments. As far as cartilage, know that cartilage covers 70% of the talus, and it is among the thickest in the body. Therefore, there are implications for osteochondral autografting. Also know that the cartilage in the talus maintains tensile strength longer than the femoral head with the aging process. As far as blood supply of the talus, this relies on an extraosseous blood supply, and know that the deltoid artery supplies the majority of the talar body and dome. Finally, as far as biomechanics, the ankle is a highly congruent mortise joint oriented 15 degrees externally from the mid-sagittal line of the ankle. The talus articulates with the medial malleolus medially, the tibial plafond superiorly, and the posterior malleolus posteriorly, as well as the fibula laterally. Now, let's go over the classification of osteochondral lesions of the talus. And the ones to know include the burnt and hardy radiographic classification, the Ferkel and Scaglione CT staging system, and the Heppel MRI staging system. So starting with the burnt and hardy radiographic classification, this is divided into four stages. Stage 1 corresponds to a small area of subchondral compression. Stage 2 corresponds to partial fragment detachment. Stage 3 corresponds to complete fragment detachment, but not displaced. And stage 4 corresponds to a displaced fragment. Moving on to the Ferkel and Scaglione CT staging system, this is divided into four stages. Stage 1 corresponds to a cystic lesion within the dome of the talus with an intact roof on all views. 
Stage 2 is subdivided into stage 2A and stage 2B. Stage 2A corresponds to a cystic lesion that communicates to the Taylor dome surface. Stage 2B corresponds to an open articular surface lesion with the overlying non-displaced fragment. Stage 3 corresponds to a non-displaced lesion with lucency, and stage 4 corresponds to a displaced fragment. Finally, moving on to the HEPL MRI staging system, this is divided into five stages. Stage 1 corresponds to articular cartilage edema. Stage 2 is subdivided into two types, stage 2A and stage 2B. Stage 2A corresponds to cartilage injury with underlying fracture and surrounding bony edema, and stage 2B is basically stage 2A without the surrounding bone edema. Stage 3 corresponds to a detached but non-displaced fragment, stage 4 corresponds to a displaced fragment, and stage 5 corresponds to a subchondral cyst formation. Now let's talk about the presentation for osteochondral lesions of the talus. These patients will typically have a history of an inversion ankle sprain. Symptoms include pain centered over the ankle joint line, joint diffusion, as well as mechanical symptoms such as catching or locking. On physical exam, inspection may reveal joint diffusion, know that palpation rarely reproduces pain, and these patients may have a cavus hind foot alignment. As far as motion assessment, this is often limited secondary to pain or effusion. Provocative tests should evaluate for ligamentous laxity or insufficiency. Moving on to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include a standard weight-bearing ankle series. Findings are often normal, but you may find a subtle lucency or bone fragmentation. Moving on to bone scans, this is indicated when there's suspicion for an osteochondral lesion of the talus in the setting of equivocal radiographs. As far as sensitivity and specificity, this test is 94% sensitive and 96% specific for osteochondral lesions of the talus. A CT may be helpful in evaluating subchondral bone and cysts, however is less reliable in purely cartilaginous lesions of non-displaced osteochondral lesions of the talus. However, know that CT provides fine detail of the lesions for preoperative planning. Moving on to MRI, this is indicated when there's persistent pain following injury, as well as ankle sprains that do not heal with time. As far as findings on MRI, there may be variable edema patterns, which may overestimate the degree of injury. Note that unstable lesions show fluid deep to the subchondral bone. As far as sensitivity and specificity, MRI predicts stability of the lesion with 92% sensitivity. Now let's talk about the treatment of osteochondral lesions of the talus. This could be non-operative or operative. Non-operative options include immobilization and non-weight-bearing, which is indicated for acute injury and is also indicated for non-displaced fragments with an incomplete fracture. Operative options include arthroscopy with removal of the loose fragment, debridement and marrow stimulation, retrograde drilling and or bone grafting, and osteochondral grafting, which can be osteochondral autograft transplantation, autologous chondrocyte implantation, or bulk allograft. Indications for arthroscopy with removal of the loose fragment, debridement and marrow stimulation includes chronic lesions, lesions that are sized less than one centimeter, and displaced smaller fragments with minimal bone on the osteochondral fragment, which have poor healing potential. Indications for retrograde drilling and or bone grafting include lesions that are sized greater than one centimeter with an intact cartilage cap. Finally, as far as osteochondral grafting, again, options include osteochondral autograft transplantation, autologous chondrocyte implantation, and bulk allograft. Indications include lesions sized greater than one centimeter and displaced lesions, as well as shoulder lesions. Other indications include a salvage option for failed marrow stimulation or drilling. Contraindications include diffuse ankle arthritis, bipolar kissing lesions, and advanced osteonecrosis of the Taylor dome. 
Now let's go over some of these management techniques in a bit more detail. As far as immobilization and non-weight bearing, a period of immobilization should be done in a cast or boot for six weeks, followed by progressive weight bearing with physical therapy, emphasizing perineal strengthening, range of motion, and proprioceptive training. As far as outcomes, there are 45% good to excellent outcomes. As far as arthroscopy with marrow stimulation, that is microfracture or antegrade drilling, the approach is the standard arthroscopic approach to the ankle. As far as instrumentation, debridement of unstable cartilage flaps should be done to create a stable and contained defect using curettes or a shaver. Loose bodies and cartilage is removed using a shaver or a grasper. As far as bony work, you will use the microfracture awl placed perpendicular to the surface and tapped into the subchondral bone 2 to 4 millimeters deep. Holes are spaced 2 to 3 millimeters from each other, and then the inflow is stopped to allow fat or blood to emanate from the holes, indicating adequate penetration. A Kirshner wire can be passed using anterior portals, or transmalleolar, for central or posterior lesions. Commercial targeting guides are available, and know that the talus is dorsiflexed and plantarflexed to necessitate only one transosseous passing of the wire. Complications include articular cartilage delamination and graft failure. As far as outcomes, there is 85% pain improvement, and there is 65-90% to improvement in patient-reported outcomes. There is fibrocartilage formation at the site of the lesion in 60% of patients on second-look arthroscopy. However, there is no correlation noted with patient outcomes. Moving on to arthroscopy with retrograde drilling and bone grafting, the approach is also the standard arthroscopic approach to the ankle. As far as instrumentation, you will evaluate the cartilaginous surface for softening and dimpling with the probe. You will also confirm integrity of the cartilaginous cap. As far as bony work, a Kirshner wire should be drilled from the sinus tarsi into the defect, Know that commercial targeting guides are available, and fluoroscopy is often helpful to confirm the location. If bone grafting is indicated, a cannulated drill is placed over the K-wire. You will then curette out cystic material, and finally the graft is harvested and placed. Complications include violation of an intact cartilage cap. Moving on to osteochondral autograft and allograft transplantation, the approach is dictated by the location of the osteochondral lesion of the talus and the concomitant procedures that are required for example, a brostrum. For a medial malleolar osteotomy for medial and posterior lesions, you will make a longitudinal incision centered over the medial malleolus. An anterior arthrotomy will then be done to expose the joint line, then the flexor retinaculum is released posteriorly, and the posterior tibial tendon is retracted posteriorly. An osteotomy is guided based off two parallelly placed K-wires with the goal to enter the plafond at the lateral extent of the osteochondral lesion of the talus. Prior to osteotomy, two drill holes are placed to aid in reduction following the procedure. A sagittal saw and osteotome is used to complete the osteotomy, and care is taken not to cause thermal necrosis to the bone or damage the cartilage. In a lateral malleolar osteotomy or an ATFL-CFL release for lateral lesions, a longitudinal incision is centered over the lateral malleolus. An oblique osteotomy is then planned with pre-drilling of small fragment screw holes to aid in reduction following the procedure. Alternatively, if a lateral ligament reconstruction is planned, the extensor retinaculum may be released. Next, the perineal tendons are retracted posteriorly and the ATFL and CFL are released. Then the ankle is inverted and plantar flexed to expose the talar dome. As far as bone work, the osteochondral lesion of the talus is debrided and measured using a sizing guide. Next, appropriately sized autograft may be harvested from the knee and placed into the osteochondral lesion of the talus and then impacted gently into the defect. An osteochondral autograft transplantation that is harvested from the knee has a cartilage thickness less than the native talus. 
This will cause immediate post-operative x-rays to show a prominent graft despite the cartilage surface being flush. Complications to know include osteotomy site delayed or non-union. Know that you do not release the deltoid ligament as this may jeopardize the deltoid artery blood supply. Other complications include ankle impingement if the graft plug is left proud, and another potential complication is autograft harvest site morbidity. Finally, moving on to autologous chondrocyte implantation, the approach involves a two-stage procedure consisting of arthroscopic harvest of chondrocytes from the ankle or alternatively from the knee and are sent for cultured growth. Then an open approach will be done via osteotomy for implantation. As far as instrumentation, first you will debride the lesion to create a stable cartilage rim and then subchondral bone is exposed. The bone graft may be placed if there is an underlying cyst and bone loss. The periosteum from the tibia is taken and fitted to the defect. This is sutured into place with small caliber suture, omitting one area to leave access to the underlying defect. After a watertight seal is confirmed, the cultured chondrocytes are placed under the flap and then the suture is placed, and fibrin glue is placed over the defect. As far as outcomes, know that the newer technique of matrix-based chondrocyte implantation has shown equivalent outcomes to autologous chondrocyte implantation and may obviate the need for osteotomy. Moving on to overall complications, after surgery for osteochondral lesions of the talus, the ones to know include graft failure and persistent pain. Graft failure is a complication of all grafting procedures, and as far as persistent pain, a small percentage of patients do not achieve pain relief regardless of treatment. Finally, as far as prognosis, know that lesions may progress to involve the entire ankle joint. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 24-year-old male presents with right ankle pain of one week duration following a twisting accident during basketball. He complains of pain and catching exacerbated by physical activity. On physical exam, he has mild swelling about the anterior ankle and pain with weight-bearing. After initial radiographs, a CT scan reveals a displaced 1 by 1 centimeter osteochondral fragment of the anterolateral talus. What is the recommended treatment strategy at this time, assuming the fragment has viable cartilage and intact subchondral bone? And the choices are 1. Continued observation and physical therapy. 2. Excision. 3. Excision and microfracture. 4. Osteochondral autograph transfer, or OATS procedure. And 5. Surgical fixation. The correct answer to this question is 5. Surgical fixation. So the treatment of a displaced acute osteochondral talar lesion of greater than 0.5 square centimeters is surgical fixation if the cartilage is viable and an adequate amount of bone is attached to the cartilage. Osteochondral lesions of the talus can be the result of trauma laterally, repetitive injuries, or local ischemia, which is more common medially. Patients may present with pain, swelling, and mechanical symptoms. These lesions may require advanced imaging to diagnose and characterize, as they are sometimes difficult to appreciate with plain films alone. Treatment is largely guided by symptoms, fragment size, location, and degree of displacement. Krautler et al. provide a review article of current concepts of osteochondral Taylor lesions. They conclude that non-operative treatment is indicated for patients with early, non-displaced, minimally symptomatic lesions, improving with therapy. They recommend surgery for patients with higher-grade lesions, patients not responding to non-operative management, displaced lesions, or loose bodies. Dunlap et al. provide a case series of lateral inverted osteochondral fractures of the talus, also known as the lift lesion. They identified 10 patients with lift lesions, all confirmed arthroscopically, and proceeded to reattach the lesions in 8 patients and excise the lesions in 2 patients. 
utilizing several HRQOL measures, physical exam, radiographs, and a mean follow-up of 9.3 years, they concluded that lift lesions can be successfully managed with a combined arthroscopic and open approach. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, continued observation and physical therapy is incorrect as a displaced symptomatic lesion warrants surgical management. Answer 2, excision, and answer 3, excision and microfracture are both incorrect as excision and microfracture may be appropriate in the setting of chronic fractures that are less than 1 square centimeters or with poor healing potential. And finally, answer 4, osteochondral autograft transfer is incorrect as this may be utilized following a failed debridement and microfracture procedure or primarily for larger that is greater than 1.5 square centimeter lesions and cystic osteochondral lesions. And moving on to the final question. A 21-year-old male reports right ankle pain after sustaining an inversion ankle injury two years ago. He complains of mechanical symptoms with ankle movement that continue to be symptomatic with everyday activities. During his workup, an MRI shows a 1 by 1 centimeter lateral talar osteochondral defect. When compared to medial talar osteochondral defects, which of the following statements is true regarding lateral talar osteochondral defects? And the choices are 1. Increased incidence of traumatic etiology. 2. Lesions are usually deeper. 3. Better chance of spontaneous resolution. 4. Usually more posterior. And 5. Are more common. The correct answer to this question is 1. Increased incidence of traumatic etiology. So lateral talar osteochondral defects have an increased history of a traumatic etiology in comparison to medial talar osteochondral defects. Lateral talar osteochondral defects are also usually less common, smaller, and more shallow than medial talar osteochondral defects. Lateral talar osteochondral defects are usually anterior in comparison to medial-based osteochondral defects and are harder to treat with conservative treatment due to a lower incidence of spontaneous healing. Canale et al. did a retrospective study of osteochondral lesions of the talus. They found that lateral lesions were associated with a history of inversion or inversion dorsiflexion trauma were morphologically shallow and were more likely to become displaced in the joint and to have persistent symptoms. Medial lesions were both traumatic and atraumatic in origin, morphologically deep, and usually less symptomatic. Flick et al. performed a retrospective study and review of the literature of osteochondritis desiccans of the talus or transchondral fractures of the talus. A history of trauma was noted in 100% of the lateral lesions and 80% of the medial talar dome lesions. Lateral dome lesions requiring surgery were approached through the standard anterolateral incision, while medial dome lesions were approached through the anterior tibial tendon sheath with grooving of the anteromedial distal tibia articular surface, allowing posteriorly placed medial lesions to be reached without medial malleolar osteotomy. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, increased incidence of traumatic etiology is incorrect as lateral talar osteochondral defects are usually more shallow in depth than medial talar osteochondral defects. Answer 3, better chance of spontaneous resolution is incorrect as lateral talar osteochondral defects are harder to treat with conservative treatment due to a lower incidence of spontaneous healing. Answer 4, usually more posterior is incorrect as medial talar osteochondral defects are usually more posteriorly located than lateral talar osteochondral defects. And finally, answer 5, are more common is incorrect as medial talar osteochondral defects are more common than lateral osteochondral defects. That's all for this review about osteochondral lesions of the talus. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. 
Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com. And in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.